Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast. The getting better all the time. Better, better, better. Edition. As the Bengals look for their second win in a row this week as they face the 5-7 Browns in Cleveland. Coming up, I'll be joined by my broadcast partner Dave Lapham as we discuss the latest Bengals news, including the return of John Ross, a fair assessment of offensive lineman Bobby Hart, and what seems like an absurd question. Do the Bengals have to worry about one win going to their heads? My locker room conversation this week is with safety Jesse Bates, who describes just how good it felt to no longer have to worry about possibly joining the 2008 Lions and the 2017 Browns in the 0-16 club. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the Cleveland Browns from one of my favorite radio play-by-play guys in the NFL, Cleveland's Jim Donovan. All of that is straight ahead, but first... Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the movie Die Hard. The Christmas season is upon us, and that means there should be plenty of opportunities while scanning around the dial to find the perfect Christmas movie, Die Hard. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, period. Bruce Willis has never been better. Alan Rickman is the perfect villain as Hans Gruber. And it's one of the most quotable movies ever, from Shoot the Glass to Hans, Bubby, I'm Your White Knight, to Yippee-ki-yay, Mother. Well, you know the rest. So, tis the season to be jolly, and to spend a couple of hours at the Nakatomi Plaza Christmas party. Now let's get to the latest Bengals news with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. And we start with a Bengals defense that held the New York Jets to 271 yards and two field goals last week and did not give up a 20-yard play for the first time in 27 games. Lap, the Bengals' defense has held three straight opponents to 17 or fewer points. Is that mostly due to mediocre opponents, or do you see signs that the defense might actually be decent? I, I think it's a combination of, of uh, both. You know, I, I do think that anytime you hold any offense, I don't care if it's peewee football <laughs> out of the end zone and limit them to field goals, you've done a hell of a job. And, and I thought that defensive performance they had last week was masterful, really. I mean, they didn't even let them in the red zone. They didn't even let them in, inside the 20-yard line one snap. Just a, a yeoman's effort right there. But I do think that it's a combination of uh, the level of the opponent and the people up front, coupled with the Bengals getting healthy on their side of it defensively. So instead of a six-man rotation, they've had a full eight-man rotation against lesser groups. And that combination, that synergy of – not as good an opponent up front and having all of your guys and keeping your stars fresh, fresher in the fourth quarter and all throughout the football game has been a big, big deal because in the opener against Seattle, when it, all hands were on deck, defensive line kicked some tail. I mean, just dominated up front. And then the injuries start happening and, uh, and they're playing good quality opponents and Lamar Jackson's of the world and you're down a few guys in your front seven you know, those those things kind of snowball the wrong way. Now, maybe you're playing, you know, you're done with Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. You don't have to worry about that that craziness anymore. 
Um, you don't have the 49ers with what they were doing. A lot of those offenses and those offensive lines are, are gone, and you're playing you know, offenses that aren't quite as explosive with less talent in their offensive line, and you've got your troops back. I think, I think it's that, that entire storyline right there. John Ross is eligible to return from the injured list this week. It sounds like he's going to. How does that impact the playbook? Well, I mean, I, I keep going back to Deshaun Watson, you know, talking about um, he, had a, he had a subpar performance, and then the following week came back and played very well. You know, and then uh, Thursday night football, he had another great game. But when, when he went from the poor performance to coming back and playing well, he was asked after the game, you know, what's the difference in, in how you perform? He said, got Fuller back. Fuller from Notre Dame, stretched the field, man. Bengals almost drafted him. They wanted him. And the Texans got him right before the Bengals did. And then later on, they draft John Ross for that same role. So Fuller and Ross provide the same thing. What Fuller provided to Deshaun Watson, Ross is going to provide to Andy Dalton. And what Fuller provided to his cohorts at the receiver position, John Ross is going to provide to Tyler Boyd and his cohorts at the receiver position as well. So I think that it's just having speed. <laughs> Somebody that you know, takes the top off the defense – the, the box that the Bengals will be, are, have been playing and will finally be open. And they'll be able to walk outside the box and get some fresh air and say, wow, <laughs> it's nice out here, you know. Um, and I, I think there's going to be an impact. And like we've talked about a few times, it not only impacts the passing attack where guys like Tyler Boyd and Tyler Eifert can, you know, abuse the middle of the football field when John Ross is stretching one side of it. He is going to tilt coverage. Um, you know, it opens up some some running lanes for Joe Mixon. It makes it easier for the offensive line to, to uh, create some cavities for Joe Mixon to take advantage of. And man, up in Cleveland, it's grass. In Miami, it's grass. Oh my goodness! If AJ Green would come back as well, and obviously that's a that's a hope and a prayer. There's no, there's no indication that that would be the case at this point in time. But if he were to come back, have John Ross on one side, AJ Green on the other taking the top off the defense on both sides of the football field. I mean, the offense would look so different. People would be like, where's this been? It's been on the sideline with injury. I mean, the Bengals have been playing. They've been hamstrung all season long in terms of what they really are offensively. Let's talk about a wide receiver who does not have great speed, Auden Tate. He never really seems to be open, but he's become a key weapon. He had four catches for 66 yards last week. He's on a pace for 745 receiving yards this year. Have you ever seen anybody quite like Auden Tate? You know, he's. I've seen a lot of receivers that uh, you know don't didn't have great speed, but w- could find a way to get open. Um, you know, Danny Abramowitz and Fred Bolitnikoff, and I mean, but that's that's back a lot of years ago. Chip Myers was a big receiver, tall, not. Super speed, but kind of deceptive speed. Pat McAnally, same type of guy, big, tall receiver, deceptive speed. This guy, though, is 6'5", almost 230 pounds, like 228 pounds. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of teams in the league, there was a temptation to say, hey, let's get him up to like 238, 240s, and see if he can play tight end. Um, but he's he is a gifted wide receiver. I mean, that's due to the injuries, he's had a legitimate chance, and he's proven – that he belongs in the National Football League. He's he's a guy that uh, he's not going to run by you, but when he's covered, he's open because he'll box you out. I mean, he uses his body position to his advantage. He's got extremely long arms, 
So, you know, he's got these big cantilevers that he's got a huge catching radius. And when he gets his hands on the football, they're extremely strong. They're like suction cups. And he wins contested catches. And the one thing that he does is when he's right at the end of his route, at the top of his route, he does have deceptive short space quickness for his size. And he can get, you know, a little bit of separation, just enough where he'll be able to use his body and do the things that, that he can do. But, man, I mean... We've seen him contorting his body and, you know, diving and making these circus catches. I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch this kid. And um, quarterbacks feel totally confident going back shoulder. If he's covered, just go back shoulder to take. Get it anywhere in that vicinity, he'll make a play on it. It's, it's been impressive to watch. He's been, you know, he's been a nice storyline to follow this year. Offensive coordinator Brian Callahan had praise for right tackle Bobby Hart this week. It wasn't effusive. But he said he's had a solid season overall. Do you agree? I think he he people are. I mean, they'd love to pile on on Bobby Hart. There's no question. I mean, it started with the contract. You know, he gets more money than people felt like he should get, so he becomes an easy target. You know, in their mind, and he'll have his you know moment where he jumps off sides or whatever. But his his whole thing is he wants to be on the cutting edge of I have to get off these defensive linemen I don't want to let them have a good get off on me I'm quick I, my, my strength is my feet I'm an he's an athletic guy he really is he's not a big brute overpower you type guy but he's got really good feet he's got long arms he uses his hands well and yeah honestly he's he's played pretty solidly I mean um, you know where, where would they be without Bobby Hart and Trey Hopkins I mean, those guys have been the staples, you know, in terms of – and Bobby, honestly, since the Baltimore game, the second Baltimore game, has been playing with a bum shoulder. And it's he said it's not getting worse, but he's had a harness on it from time to time, and he can't really get it up above his head, uh, but you don't need to to be able to block. So he has enough of his power and his strength where he can keep his hands and arms below his, his shoulders and be able to block people. So the fact that he's out there sucking it up, uh, you know, playing hurt, uh, and, and a shoulder injury is not fun, believe me. When you have shoulder problems, it's not fun when you're a lineman because, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with that pain every snap. So, you know, I, I think that saying that he's had a solid season, I, w- I wouldn't dispute that. I wouldn't disagree with that whatsoever. Speaking of the O-line, rookie Michael Jordan was back in the starting lineup last week. How did he do? A lot better. You know, I thought, uh, you know, lesson learned um, and, and it was learned against a great player. I mean, Cameron Hayward is – He's a man. There's no doubt about that, fellow Buckeye. Um, he's having a Pro Bowl season. I don't think he gets enough credit. Even though he's a Pro Bowl player, it's like nobody talks about him enough, in my opinion. But, you know, Michael learned a lot in that football game in Pittsburgh when, as a line, they gave up eight sacks, and Cameron Hayward had two, two and a half of them. So um, he's, he's worked his way back. He, he was nicked up a little bit injury-wise, worked his way back. They started using him as the extra tight end in formations, and, and uh, there he is out there again. Another guy with huge radius. I mean, long, athletic, can move his feet. He's got power. The biggest thing about Michael Jordan, though, that has impressed me, extremely mature. I mean, he's only 22 years old. I think he just recently turned it. And um, his parents raised him right. I mean, that kid is mature. And uh, a lot of guys might have crumbled and assumed the fetal position to never recover after what happened with Cameron Hayward, but he uses it as a learning tool, and I think he's going to have a hell of a career. I think he's going to play a long time. I think he's going to play at a very high level for a long time. I think they uh, 
they feel like, you know, traded up to get him for a reason, and I think they're, they're, they feel comfortable with it. Bengals in Cleveland to take on the Browns this Sunday. Lap, the Browns are on the cover of Sports Illustrated's NFL Preview Edition. SI predicted that the Browns would win the AFC North. Well, they're 5-7. and seven. They lost to the Steelers last week with Devlin Duck Hodges at quarterback. Are you surprised that the Browns aren't that good? You know, I think um, that sometimes expectations are set so high it's almost impossible to, to achieve them. And honestly... A first-time head coach takes time. I mean, he was assistant running back coach, I think, at the beginning of the year a year ago. It was crazy. I mean, the meteoric rise has been just, you know, a, a sight to behold. Freddie Kitchens came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I, I really thought that the way, they, uh, the way they responded, you know, last year to Greg Williams, I really thought that that might be a direction that they go and maybe make Freddie Kitchens offensive coordinator because of his relationship with Baker Mayfield. Because of his relationship with Baker Mayfield, they named him the head coach and let Greg Williams walk. Um, so, and I think the defense was playing so well under Greg Williams, I would have just kept him around and kept that kind of uh, style of play that they were responding to. So, I, you know, I, I, think, I think part of it is decisions that were made in the coaching aspect of it um and then a lot of times you accumulate star players like they did doesn't mean it's going to work in terms of chemistry in terms of you know defining roles on a football team uh checking egos and all the things that have to go with that so i thought they would be better i i did not see them you know being a super bowl winner or being a super bowl participant winning the afc championship i didn't see that but I saw them being a potential playoff team, you know, with the, with the talent they have, and, and they haven't performed up to that level. There's there's no doubt about that, and uh, there's there's a myriad of reasons why. And uh, it just goes to show you that the intangibles are at least as maybe more important than the tangibles when you're putting the thing together. And uh, I think I think this this football team is probably a pretty good example of that. Lap after setting a rookie record with 27 touchdown passes and becoming a pitch man for every other advertiser on TV, Baker Mayfield has had a lousy year. He is last among qualifying quarterbacks in passer rating. He's got 14 interceptions. That's the third most in the NFL. Are we talking second-year growing pains or something more? That's that's a great question. I mean, I I think that um, a lot of times defensive coordinators have a full off season to take a look at Baker Mayfield what he does best, what to take away from him. Like Bill Belichick always says, take a player's strength away, make him play left-handed if he's a right-handed player or vice versa, you know. Um, and I, I think people are, are doing that with Baker Mayfield somewhat. Maybe he's not handling the looks and the pressures as much or as well as he did. That's a good question. I mean, it, it would have to be – you'd have to be tracking him almost on a week-to-week basis up there to see and to see what they're doing against him. Um, and part of it, too, is, you know, bringing in a guy like Beckham. And, you know, you've got Landry, who you had established a relationship. Now Beckham wants the ball. I mean, it's just it's kind of a tug of war. Even if it's not um, something that's verbalized, you know that everybody wants the football. It's, to me, it's almost like when you have too many superstars at one position group, it can be an issue. You know, there are, you're always better off having a clear-cut number one and then, you know, and then everybody else has roles. Sometimes when you have one and one A or two ones or whatever it is, 
that can kind of play with the quarterback a little bit too. I think losing his tight end to injury, who's a big-time playmaker, um, was was a factor in it as well. I, he, he does like to utilize the tight end. He had a great one when he was at Oklahoma. Andrews was playing well you know, for the Baltimore Ravens, so he's very um, mindful of involving tight ends in, in, in the passing game. So I, it, it's a bunch of things. I, offensive line, I don't think, is as playing as, as well maybe as they did last year. So it's, it's probably not just a thing. It's uh, like it always is. It's an accumulation of a lot of things. And sometimes those little things start accumulating. They become big issues. Lap, as crazy as this might sound, after an 0-11 start, do the Bengals have to worry about one win going to their heads? You know, handling success, that, that old story is, is a factor. And, um, you know, one win, you can't hardly term it success, but it is such a relief. It's like that nasty pimple that filled and all that pressure, and finally that sucker pops, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's what you were hoping might happen. And, and um, the Bengals get that victory, and it, and it alleviates and leaves all that pressure. But, Dan, it, it wasn't a masterpiece. I mean, they averaged 1.8 yards a carry. They had no plays of 20 yards or more. Their longest run was nine yards. Uh, their longest pass, I think, was 17. It was a touchdown. I mean, it wasn't like they, they ripped it up offensively. Defensively, you know, they, they were unbelievable. They, defensively, they've only given up one touchdown in the last 10 quarters of play. I mean, that's, that's pretty phenomenal. And 39 points in the last three games. They've been building and getting better on the defensive side of things. But um, there were a lot of corrections to be made looking at that tape. And I bet if guys looked at that tape, against the New York Jets, particularly offensively, they can point to other games as an offensive line where we blocked guys better than that and lost the football game by two scores. We didn't block these guys as well in the running game, and we, and we won by two scores. So it's, it, it's a crazy game, and you just always have to try to improve on your techniques and fundamentals and, uh, and, and try to make plays. I mean, it's all about making plays and, and limiting the plays that the other team makes. It's that simple. Best analogy ever, getting a win after an own 11 start is like popping a nasty pimple. <laughs> Wouldn't want to see that line on a t-shirt, although someday I hope to see a Dave Lapham t-shirt with the words, a loose groin is a happy groin. Now time for this week's locker room conversation as I visit with a second-year Bengal who will be looking for his first win in three tries against Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. We're in the locker room with second-year safety Jesse Bates. Give me a few words to describe how good it felt on Sunday night. Yeah, um, that's a lot of words I can say about um, getting the first win. Um, obviously, it's something that we've wanted all year. Um, it sucks that we had to wait until week 12 or, or whatever it was. Um, but we finally got the monkey off our back, and uh, hopefully we can continue to build some momentum uh, for next year, just knowing that we're that we can't play for any championships this year. So, We're talking to Jesse Bates. When you guys came back to work on Monday, did everybody have a little pep in their step? Yeah, it was a little different um, watching the film uh, compared to, you know, losing. Um, I think we played a complete game as a whole football team, not just defensively or offensively. I think we played well consistently uh, throughout the game. So that, that was good to see. I hate to even ask the question, but there have only been two 0-16 teams in history. Mm-hmm. As the losses were mounting, were you getting worried about that potential scarlet letter? Um, it's funny. Uh, I, there was no conversation throughout the players. Um, 
thinking about going 0 16. I think we're we did a really good job of just going in to every week, just going one and zero. And unfortunately, like I said, we had to wait until week 13 or whatever it was to get the first win. Um, but yeah, amongst you know family and friends, you never want to be that team. Um, for example, like the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they're they're 0-16, um, and we don't want to be that. So hopefully, we can stack some wins and you know make the season feel a little better on the back end. We're talking to Jesse Bates. Over the last three weeks, the defense has given up 17, mm-hmm. 16, and six points. That's going to get you a win almost any time. What's been the difference? Um, I just think that we executed um, the game plan very well. Uh, the biggest thing that a lot of people have noticed is that we haven't given up a lot of explosive plays, um, and that's been the, the key part that hurt us um, in the first part of the season. Um, and also, uh, we've, we've been able to generate some turnovers as well and stop the run. Uh, so those three things, I mean, that that has been the huge key for us defensively to give up. I mean, I think that we've given up two touchdowns or a touchdown in the past ten quarters or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just good that we're playing well. It just needs to continue the snowball effect, like I said, and build the momentum to uh, weeks on. Go ahead. Jesse, you are 13th in the NFL in solo tackles, which is necessarily ideal when you're playing safety, but how much pride do you take in getting guys to the ground? Um, Yeah, it's something that um, that's, that's my job. That's my job mm-hmm. description. Um, I'm a safety. I'm the last line of the defense, and um, if you can't get people on the ground, you're not doing your job, your job very well. So, um, me and say, me and Sean, uh, we take pride in, you know, getting guys on the ground, making sure that there's no, um, you know, explosive touchdowns that are happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I take pride in that, and that's good to hear. So, Sean, of course, is Sean Williams, your fellow safety, and he has played with a wide variety of injuries this year. I mean, everybody's banged up this time of year, but in his case, it's been some pretty serious stuff. How much respect do you have for him? Yeah. Um, you know, this this isn't just the only example of having respect for him. You know, coming in as a rookie last year and hanging on to him and him taking me under his wing was a huge respect thing uh, for me. Um, and it's built not just on the field, it's built off the field as well. Um, Sean is pretty much like a big brother to me, so I got a lot of respect for him. You faced the Browns this week. I heard you say earlier in the week that everybody knows about Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and their great players, but the real key is the running backs. Yeah, um, and I think the the two wide receivers, they let everyone know when they catch the ball. <laughs> um, I think that's what everybody, all the fans and stuff, wants to see um, because, like, like you're saying, um, before the season, they were the Super Bowl team that everybody thought that that was going to make it to the Super Bowl, um, and it's not such like that anymore. Um, so, yeah, I just think, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, those are the guys that gets that team going. Um, it's not the receivers. Obviously, they're very dynamic, um, but the, the thing that gets that, that team going is those two running backs. So um, that's something that we've keyed in on uh, this week. So. Last thing, Baker Mayfield has 14 picks this year. Mm-hmm. Is he a guy that has so much faith in his arm and his ability to stick mm-hmm. it in a tight window that you think there will be opportunities to pick one off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think last year he got away with a lot of stuff. He didn't, and now it's kind of hurting him. Uh, he's throwing a lot of interceptions. Um, you know, hopefully he can throw us some. I mean, we haven't got as many as we wanted to as a secondary, as a whole defense. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can get him rattled and um, 
get him to talk a little stuff and <laughs> throw some interceptions. I hope this Monday is, a, is as enjoyable as last Monday was. Best of luck. Thanks for the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Jesse Bates. Baker Mayfield has not had a good year other than cashing the checks for being on every other commercial on TV. But the Bengals only have to pop on the tape from last season to see Mayfield at his absolute best. In two wins against Cincinnati, the former Heisman Trophy winner threw seven touchdown passes with no interceptions and a passer rating of 135.8. This year, it's been a different story. The number one pick in last year's draft ranks last among qualifying quarterbacks in completion percentage, touchdown to interception ratio, and passer rating. And this week, he's dealing with a bruised hand suffered late in the second quarter in last week's loss in Pittsburgh. Dave Lapham and I discuss that and much more in this week's Know the Foe segment with the radio voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan. My first question is, how are those Pittsburgh started at uh, T-shirt selling? Are they, are they going pretty well? <laughs> and are you wearing one as we speak? Right, right. Uh, yeah, if I, I did not wear mine outside to a movie. Uh, I did not go to the Mr. Rogers uh, around. It's a great day in the neighborhood movie, and I did not have my uh, Pittsburgh started at T-shirt on. I have to tell you, that's uh, that whole thing. I mean, not only the I mean the T-shirt, but what triggered it all that Thursday night game. Um, you know, that, that that was a great, great night in Cleveland that turned into a real bad night in Cleveland. I mean, right. it really did. When you beat the Steelers, especially, I mean, you know, we, it's been so long since the Browns had beaten the Steelers. But when you beat them, it should be a holiday the next day. But I have to tell you guys, because of the last eight seconds of that game and how it all, you know, went down in that ugly melee, when you walked out of First Energy Stadium that night, it really felt like they lost that night wow. and and then all the other stuff that's gone down the road with it has been unbelievable freddie kitchen seems like a likable guy but that was just kind of such a silly thing to do to be photographed with a fan i would think you would have to know how that would come off is he just naive yeah i think so dan i really do i i think all of this notoriety that really started last year when he became the offensive coordinator and the offense really started to click, as you guys saw, yeah. uh, when when he took over the play calling. And, um, you know, he was just – I think Clevelanders said, hey, this guy's like one of us. I mean, he wore the orange sweatshirt at that time that said dog pound on it, and, and people really related to that. And so he became kind of a real favorite, and the team finished well. And and, and he bought into that, too. I mean, he uh, – you know, he, he's out there. He's like a greeter when – you meet him out in the streets. I mean, he stops and talks to everybody. So I think all of this that came along with being the head coach of the Browns really was overwhelming to him. And there are a lot of areas where he has had a tough time handling it, like what happened uh, with the T-shirt, but also what's happened with the, you know, the multitude of responsibilities that go with becoming a head coach because he had never been a head coach before. Uh, is the, the, the situation here in Cincinnati is – Zach Taylor, head coach and play caller. Is Freddie Kitchens head coach? Is Monken play caller? Is Freddie play caller? How much influence does Todd Monken have on the offense? Well, that equation has been uh, hard to decipher, but at least on game day, uh, Freddie is the head coach and he is calling the plays. Right. Todd Monken sits upstairs. Uh, they have never really come out and said, here's how it happens. Uh, you know, Todd right. 
radios down to play, and then Freddie says yay or nay. I mean, they've never really gone over that. You know, Dave, it was a, it was a funny situation anyway because Munkin is a you know, he's a pretty well established guy. He was a head coach in college, and of course a play caller before sure. in the NFL. And he, when he came here, and Freddie had become the head coach and was and openly said, "I'm gonna." I'll call the place. You wondered why Munkin came here in the first place to do that. You know, it was kind of a strange setup for a guy that was so, uh, you know, he has such good experience. Um, but they've never really come out and said, this is how we do it. They don't even describe what the format they go through during the week, other than I know Todd, you know, is a was a big fan. I mean, when he came here, he talked a great deal about getting the opportunity to be around a young quarterback like Baker Mayfield and watching him grow. And I know he was in love with, uh, you know, the air raid offense coming into the NFL and he loved with what Kansas City was doing. And he, and he wanted to see that be put into the uh, to the Cleveland offense. So I'm sure there's Munkin influence, but as far as strategically on game day, as far as I know and what we've seen through the uh, through these games, these 12 games, I would have to say that Freddie is he's calling the place too. Right, right. We are talking to the voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan. Jim, a lot of us expected to be the Browns expected the Browns to be good this year. I'll put myself uh, in that category. I'm not necessarily talking Super Bowl good, uh, but certainly right. playoff good. In in my case, at least, what did so many of us get wrong about the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot to be said for chemistry. And I think at the end of the year last year, when they got on that nice little run, they had a nice little chemistry going. They really did. And whether it was Freddie, uh, you know, turning the offense around and, and, um, and, and Greg Williams really kind of making them toe the line, they were a very disciplined team at the end of the year. Um, but that was last year. But then coming into this year, you know, they added the uh, big name parts. I mean, they've been obviously OBJ and, coming here that was the biggest of them all and with the um, you know kareem hunt joining the team and then sitting out the eight weeks because of suspension and then adding him into the offense it's been kind of like when you go into a buffet line and you just take everything and they went and they took everything and they added that and then when you sit down at the table you go wow this is just too much for me to eat and and really when they're out on the field you look at it and you just say I don't think they really know what they want to do with all of this. Mm -hmm. I don't think they know how they can function. It's great to say we have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but I don't think they have it down pat yet of, okay, it's great to have them, but how are we going to use each one of their skills? How are we going to have them on the field together? What are we going to do? And the biggest obstacle has been Beckham, how to get him involved. And there has just been no chemistry. But I have to say this, in the offseason – you know, Odell Beckham Jr. really didn't do anything in the offseason. He attended one OTA session. He came to the mini camps, but he really didn't do anything. He came mm-hmm. to training camp. He never played in the preseason games. So when they went out on the field in the opening game of the season against Tennessee, they kind of expected, I think, to just snap their fingers and it's going to work. And it has not worked. You mentioned uh, <clears throat> discipline. You look at penalty yards. The Bengals, a 1-11 football team, have the fewest penalty yards of any team in the NFL. Number one, only 540 penalty yards. The team that has the most are the Cleveland Browns. You know, they've got 926 penalty yards. The Bengals' case just have not made enough plays. Penalties have not betrayed the big plays. Have penalties betrayed and offset a lot of big plays by the Browns? Have they been not only numerous but very untimely? Yeah, they have, and there's been a, and there's a lot of after the whistle stuff 
Gabe, there really is, especially early in the year. The opening game of the year against Tennessee, they had 18 penalties in that game. Wow. 18, accept, 18 accepted penalties. Wow. I mean, they were over 20, <laughs> you know, if they had taken them all. Um, you know, they've had 13 penalty games. They've been in double, 10, 11. Only in the last couple of weeks has that calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there was a lot of – there's a lot of uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, roughing the passer, that kind of stuff. I mean, they've had ejections. I mean, not just the Miles Garrett one. I mean, they've had, uh, you know, the, the left tackle Greg Robinson got kicked out of the opening game right. for kicking a guy in the head. I yep. mean, really, I mean, really undisciplined stuff. Now, during, during the summer – you know, Cody was saying, hey, we're going to be a very tough football team, and I want them to be tough, and, you know, we're going to come at people. But there's a real line, I think, that you have to, you have to watch that you go over on the wrong side of that line, and I think too many times uh, that's happened. I mean, they, the, the penalties have been absolutely just absurd. And then you go with the ticky-tack ones where they can't get lined up. Uh, you know, a lot of false starts, things like that. So, um, you know, that, that, that's been something that really, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, Hey, listen. There's an there's a discipline problem, you know, bordering on totally being undisciplined, and I think that that falls on the coaching on on the head coach and definitely his staff. Sure. A couple more questions for the voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan. Describe Baker Mayfield's play this year. He's had a tough year. He really has. I mean, he uh, he he's had a sophomore. I don't think it's. I don't know if it's a sophomore slump. I I think it definitely probably. Yeah, I think you could probably characterize it that way now that I hear myself saying it because I've watched it go. He has not uh, – I don't think he's been comfortable, guys, with that offensive line in front of him. And I think he's taken a lot of hits, and he had a rough day in Pittsburgh last Sunday. He got sacked five times. He had an injured hand. He fumbled. He, he got intercepted. The interceptions were really high, especially early in the season. Got a little bit better before the Pittsburgh game when they won the three games in a row. Uh, he's been very frustrated at times. He's battled with the media a couple of times. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he looks as though he just doesn't know what he wants to do at times. And he was so decisive and so accurate last year and i think that's why everybody was so excited about him coming into his second season but whether it's just the um the the awe of having a guy like odell beckham jr out there and saying to yourself i gotta get him the ball i gotta get him the ball it was a little bit like that when they had josh gordon here and he would return after his suspension and and they would say okay listen he's back in the lineup we got to push the ball to him right. and then everybody else fell out of the offense and it's been like that um He's had a very, very tough year. I, I think that um, this will be a year, I think, when he goes into year three next year, he'll look back and say, wow, it's, it's, this position is really a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be after my rookie year. Two players, one offense, one defense, that I, I think are a little uncelebrated in terms of what they do. In my mind, like you say, quarterback, star receivers, Nick Chubb, dude. <sighs> Uh, I mean, he's he's leading the NFL in rushing. He runs as hard as anybody I've ever seen. 1,175 rushing yards, averaging almost five yards a carry, seven rushing touchdowns. This dude is is the real deal. And then defensively, Joe Schobert, nobody talks it. He is a, he's a <laughs> tackling machine. He's got 50 more tackles than the next guy, basically, Mac Wilson. Two sacks, four interceptions, all you know, all in the last uh, in the last four games. Nine passes, defense, two forced fumbles, fumble recovery. He's a Stat line stuff for those two guys, one on offense, one on defense, 
I'm like, man, they, they just jump out on tape now. Yeah, Nick Chubb is just the ultimate professional who doesn't look for any of the spotlight. He shuns it. He really does. He just does, uh, he just does his work out on the field. There are no wild celebrations at the touchdown. He, he does it the old-fashioned way, Dave. He kind of hands the ball to the official. Yep, He's a yep. rare breed. He really is a rare breed. The other thing is he can run with power. And then he's got an extra gear. He can run away from you. I mean, he's had some classic long runs. He had a 92-yarder in the big win that they had in Baltimore early yeah. in the season. It really kind of broke the game open. Yep. But he can get you a yard. He can get you 50 yards. He's he's worked awfully hard. And especially when, you know, they had traded Duke Johnson and they didn't have Kareem Hunt for the first eight weeks. Um, Chuck really worked hard on being a good receiver out of the backfield, and he's become more than adequate at doing that. But he is the ultimate throwback professional guy, hmm. just a tremendous kid. Doesn't say boo, uh, and, I mean, he does it in a shy way, not in a way that, you know, he shuns you. Right. The other guy, is uh, he's a great story. Joe Schobert was a guy that when they drafted him, they thought, this guy's going to be a core special teams player. Right. Well, baby, he might get on the field, but I got to give Greg Williams a lot of credit. He's the guy that changed him into a middle linebacker, and gosh, he's he's really like a coordinator out on the field for them, and they need that. Believe me, um, you know he gets them lined up, and then he makes plays, and he's all over the field. He can go sideline to sideline. His depth on being able to drop in the passing game is tremendous, and uh, he's really a, he's a terrific player. Key thing now, I mean, this is. This is a contract year for him, and it will be interesting to see what they do as far as being able to get him back next year. Our thanks to Jim Donovan, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a minute, please give it a rating or share a comment. Five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.